Hi, hey, hello. You are listening to Neophile, the podcast where we do your favorite thing for the very first time. If you haven't listened to us before, what that means is we meet up with somebody who has a favorite thing that we've never tried, and then we do it, and then we get back together with them and talk about our experience. On today's episode, today's double season finale, huge, big, very special episode, I talked to a woman named Ryan who read a book after dying for four minutes. But before we get into that, what's new, Paul? You're Paul Hayes. And I'm Paul Hayes. <laughs> You're Paul Hayes. I'm Jedediah Johnson. And this is Neophile. What's new, Paul? Oh, the red line. The red line of Indianapolis. Yep. We've got a new, there's a new bus in town, folks, and it's the red line. I rode it to work. I rode it home. Felt like I was in school again. It was pretty cool. All right, I love it. I haven't I haven't ridden it yet. Um, I don't ride the bus because I have a car. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, maybe if 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 ever the 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 fast Washington line gets done, maybe I'll mm. take that Washington bus to Julia Carson's Center and then up the red line up to work. But probably be a not. quick trip <laughs> uh yeah that's not true yeah what's new with you jed i'll tell you what's new with me uh i might i might have just started a band today but Ooh. who knows who knows what's gonna happen can i name it no uh okay. because the the guy that actually wants to start it uh he already has a name for it and i feel like i shouldn't say it it's like you know it's like a baby we basically just conceived it Okay. If we start naming it, then when it dies, we'll feel bad. Um, but bad. yeah, that's what uh, that's what's new with me. Um, we have this week. This is our double episode uh, season finale. Uh, I talked to uh, Ryan, and she told me about uh, a couple of uh, one of her favorite things and one of her not so favorite things. <laughs> Uh, so, um, we're going to talk about both those things and then there'll be a little break and we'll, and we'll do my reaction to the first one and then we'll do my reaction to the, to the second one. So, uh, yeah. Hey, let's, uh, let's have them buckle up for this one. Yeah. <laughs> this first, this first part's a buckle upper. Click it or ticket, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's get to you and Ryan. Ryan, welcome. Welcome to Neophile. Thank you, Jed. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's um, great to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you. Uh, just to give a little context to the listener. <laughs> yeah, all of them out there. <laughs> um, how, uh, how, do, how do you and I know each other? What's our relationship? So we work together a little bit. Mm-hmm. I hand you keys to get into your studio. Mm-hmm. So I am a receptionist at the, the Indianapolis Arts okay, Center. Okay, I didn't know how deep you're trying to get. But yeah, I know I'm a receptionist at the Indianapolis Arts Center. And you are an instructor and just somebody who works in the image studio that we do have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's how we met. Just hanging out at my desk. Yep. Me yep. handing you keys. Do you remember the first time? No. Me neither. Yeah. yeah I was I nervous don't. it was going to be like some embarrassing tale of me being stupid because Mm-mm. I have a lot of those. Mm-mm. Nope. I don't remember either. Good. And just one day Good. you were there and um, 
And now you're here. And now I'm just here. <laughs> yeah. Here to stay, apparently. Here in my childhood bedroom. Half Good. my childhood you bedroom. You know, I, I can only imagine that I had a feeling the first time I met you. I was like, man, one of these days I'm going to end up in his childhood bedroom. <laughs> I just, you know, something in me just told me. Yeah. Well, well, they, well, here we are. Here we are, dude. Born to be kings. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit before this about um, what you're bringing to me. Why don't you tell me about the first thing, which is the book? Okay. So I brought you another book to read, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And it is- And that's the title? Yes. Okay. It was first published as short stories in- Reader's Digest, I believe, mm. in the 60s, late 60s. Mm-hmm. It was very quickly sought after. He, Richard Bach, the author, quickly put out like a full collection of them. Mm-hmm. And they are perfect. They they were bestsellers for many, many years after um, the actual book was released. And ever since then, it's just been... It's almost a self-help book if you want to look at it that way. Mm. I could use I could use some help yeah, for myself. Yeah, you know, I was glad you brought this up <laughs> because my first thought months ago when you first mentioned it was, oh, I'm going to make him read Jonathan Livingston Steagall. Mm-hmm. And then I read it again in the past couple of days and I was like, whoa, I needed to read this again. Oh, nice. So, yeah, no, thank you for that. No, hey, no problem. Um, It's a little bit of a childish tale, some will say, but it's also... <laughs> I mean, it's about seagulls at the end of the day. It's not a... Wait, it's about seagulls? It's about seagulls. Oh, so it's not like seagull, like... like no, like the, birds on a beach, The bitch. name. Oh, Jonathan, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Yeah. So seagull is the last name of all of the seagulls. Okay. So his name is Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I have so... a friend I have a friend named Simone Seagull. Oh. And well, so that's, that's where I went with it. No, just uh, genuine seagulls, just doing seagull shit, um, <laughs> except for Jonathan Livingston, of course. He does this amazing work that lasts generations beyond himself. He opens up the seagull's mind. He opens up some seagull's minds to what can be the most amazing thing. And basically, it can be looked at as just like an omelette almost without the direct religious undertones Mm -hmm. of self-perfection, the pointlessness of it almost, Mm -hmm. and just the breaking limits that you yourself have created, realizing that every limit that you've put on yourself is Mm. Um, self-inflicted. Your body is a limit. Mm -hmm. Your body doesn't exist if you take the limits away. So, I mean, it does, I keep gesturing down there cause it's in my purse, but <laughs> it, I can't describe enough how important it is. I think this is a book that should be read probably early childhood, five mm-hmm. or six should be read to a child. And, and when did you read it? You know, actually, uh, my mom grew up reading it and after I died, she was like, <laughs> you should read this book. <laughs> and so maybe it hits me in a different spot than it might hit most people. But reading about it, 
I think it hits a lot of people in the same spot that it hit me. Mm -hmm. It just came into my life at a little bit of a weird time. Sure. Which I'm totally cool with. A lot of things come into my life at weird times, and that's a good one. Um, So I've only been reading it. I've only read it for the past year, month, and like 10 days. Okay. <laughs> you want to get specific? <laughs> um, it actually might be more like a year and two weeks because it was like post-hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just think it's a really important book. I think if I had read it much younger, I, I don't think it was my mom's intention to not have me read it as a youngster. Mm-hmm. It just kind of fell out of her memory for a few years. And now that she's reread it, she loves it just as much as she did when she was a kid. Cool. I think one thing that's important to note about this book is that it was originally published until, I believe, 2013 as just a three-part series. So it was just the three short stories added into the one. The fourth part, the thing that makes the book I have, the books I have, the complete series, is the fourth part. Some say that Richard Bach wrote it because of, or rather finished it, because of a near-fatal plane crash he was in. Mm. That's something that's been speculated But he does go into it. The last pages of the book are his little manifesto about the fourth part. Mm -hmm. It also can be found online just on the book's website. Um, It's a little bit problematic for longtime readers of the book. Mm. The fourth part didn't come out, I don't think, until 2013. Okay. So this this is – just to be clear, it it came out as three short stories – in Reader's Digest. In Reader's Digest. And then, okay, so then was that was a... published sim- as a full book. And symboled into a book. And then in 2012, he had started the fourth part back when the rest of it was published. Mm-hmm. He decided it didn't belong. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how a lot of people still feel about it. It kind of... A lot of diehard readers who have read that book for decades now, when it came out, they're like this kind of... I still appreciate the first three parts. It does not take away from the first three parts, Mm -hmm. but some people recommend not reading it. Okay. I'm not going to tell you whether or not you should read it. I'm definitely going to read it. You should. I like it. (laughs) I have. (laughs) Um, I think just the last page of the last part is very poignant and just an excellent summation Mm. of the series some say that the fourth part does take it to a little bit more of a spiritual place Mm -hmm. than they had wished it would but there's no doubt in my mind or i think in most people who have read it that it is a little bit of a spiritual book Mm -hmm. it is a little bit about death a little bit about transcendence it is a little bit about Obviously, the self-perfection, breaking your own limits, finding your own limits, and even breaking your own limits without knowing that you had those limits. It's a very interesting thing. I can't speak highly enough of the book, the author himself, um, how he says the the fourth part um, actually came about was his assistant or someone Mm -hmm. literally just found 
a packet of papers that were like real worn and she saw it sorry um she saw it and she was like oh my god do you know what this is and he was like no what is it and he like flipped through it and he was like oh my god this is part four hmm. and so he'd forgotten about it he more or less hmm. you know it had been just about 50 years since he had sure. touched anything sure, new I've forgotten. the book yeah i've forgotten everything that happened to me 50 years ago uh, yeah dude tell me about it when i was like negative 38 or however <laughs> the fuck math works <laughs> I don't know <laughs> shit from back then. I was fucked up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's take a look. Let me look at the book. Let me look All at. All right. So I will mention. I will mention. Sorry, that it is a little bit of a picture book, but it's not. Oh. So it's lighter than it looks. I mean, flip through it. A bulk of the pages are pictures of seagulls. Okay. It's. It, I love how you tell me that this. It's lighter than it looks, and like. It's a light book. This is a light book already. The first time I it read it. It looked light. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And not just, no, when you said pictures, I was imagining illustrations like a children's book. No, no these are photographs of seagulls. No, it just just seagull pictures. Big margins on this book. Yeah. This uh, is going to be fun to go through. It, You know, the first time I read it, I read it in probably four hours nonstop. That's why I think it should be read to your children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to have kids, but if I was... This would mm-hmm. be their first book. And it does have the pretty pictures of seagulls. And from someone who's from the beach, I love that. You're from it's, the beach? Um, Halfway. I like to say I'm from two places, southern okay. Indiana and the coast of Virginia. So okay. a little bit of both. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think it loses anything in its quest to be a comfortable read. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so at all. I think you can get something from it if you want to get something from it. If you want to just read it as a story about a seagull doing some cool stuff, feel free to. I think it's still a good story when you're thinking about it like that. But there's also the big emphasis on dismantling the concept of limits Mm, and dismantling the concept of what you are capable of. I'm into it. I love it. Okay. So I'll read this. Good deal. When I asked you, and we've already had like a little bit of a conversation about this, so I don't want to like have us act out like I'm hearing this for the first time or whatever. Um, But when you were trying to think of a topic to to bring to me, uh, there was a moment where you were like, I know something that you've done. Well, first off, you, you told me to give you a list of everything that I've done, which that's impossible. Obviously. How can you not detail every day of your <laughs> everything, life? Everything. If I could make a list just, of everything that I've done, then my... My list would start today. That's all I remember. My my autobiography wouldn't be shelved right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working uh, on one of those myself. <laughs> um, but uh, you looked at your our, our co-worker. You looked at her and said, I know something I've done that he hasn't done. And she was like, oh, but he can't do that. And I was like, come on, what is it? What could it possibly – what have you done? And what is it that you have done that I could not possibly do? I have died for four minutes. That's, and that would be very hard to recreate for you, bud. You've got me. You've got – yeah, you've got – I've got a lot of people on that one. You've got me beat for like three and a half minutes there. No, yeah. I, I never died. I never died. You died for four minutes. Sure did. Okay, so let's talk about that. So you said that you have a blood disorder? Is that what it is? That's – we're slowly figuring it out, mm. I think. Mm. Um 
you know, for the first over over a year after I died of a hundred percent occlusion in my left anterior descending artery, mm-hmm. we were finding out that I do have some sort of blood disorder that affects a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what could have been an occlusion, like a plaque buildup, was actually likely a blood clot that mm. my that just kind of got lodged in the wrong spot. Um, some would say, <laughs> but you know, the, the way it could have gone was a stroke or, sure. you know, thrombosis in a major, another major artery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily look at it as luck. I look at it as bad luck, but I came out of there alive. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, eventually it was about a week in the ICU and then multiple days in a step down unit where I was on constant telemetry, just having my uh, heart checked out constantly. Mm-hmm. There was nothing wrong with it the whole time. Yeah. Turns out we know why now uh, or <laughs> might know why soon. Uh, it was an interesting experience to say the least. It changed a lot clearly Mm -hmm. i don't think it's an experience that you can recreate in any fashion nope yeah i know i know i can't and you know i always say this but it bums me out that i went out pretty sober Mm. like you know i was 21 (laughs) when i had a massive Mm -hmm. heart attack that Mm -hmm. only happens when you're like wicked coked up you know sure sure and sometimes not even then yeah (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes you're just hanging out eating dinner with your friends and you die um so you were so let's 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 backtrack pause the, there so you're you're hanging out eating dinner with your friends yeah we were having a family dinner um this was when i was living in virginia so okay. i was going to school out there living with family my family was out of town moving my baby cousin into college out in california as i told you about okay um so my two best friends at the time came over. We made eggplant parmesan, and we had artichokes in the oven. Did not know how long artichokes took to make, so those stayed in the oven. Um, we're just happily eating. Uh, not going to lie, we were smoking a bowl, because that is what we do. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, I started feeling real lousy. Um, but feeling real lousy is nothing new to me. Mm-hmm. I'm chronically ill in every fashion you can imagine. Um, so, you know, I stepped away from the table. I was like, yo, I'm going to go throw up upstairs for a few. I'll be back down in a minute. Mm-hmm. And which is nothing new for my friends. They're used to it. Sure. Sure. Um, didn't really think anything of it until I realized that the feeling that I was feeling is not the normal nausea, n- nausea feeling mm-hmm. I was feeling. And then as I was just violently, violently vomiting mm. to the point where like I was sobbing almost as much as I was producing stomach mm-hmm. bile from my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get like some real bad pains. And within two seconds of those pains, I was like, I'm having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. This is happening right now. This is a bummer. And like, describe the pains, like um, okay. shooting, stabbing. So, I will say I am a female, and females experience heart attacks much different than males do generally. Okay. So my, if you have a heart attack, this probably won't be what you feel. 
but mine started as... Can we put an if on that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, somebody um, wind my next heart attack, and I was I had a panic attack for three weeks. Oh, man. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool. Um, so your experience, so, the pain. Yeah, it was extreme in the most extreme sense of the word extreme. Mm-hmm. It started in... Kind of more of my left elbow than my left shoulder. And before it hit my shoulder, it was stretching shoulder blade to shoulder blade. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it almost felt like a Charlie horse. Mm -hmm. The worst Mm -hmm. Charlie horse you could imagine. Mm -hmm. And not just like a happy little like tiny square on the back of your calf. So like a a loss of blood. Yeah, it was a full loss of blood. Mm -hmm. My heart was dying yeah (laughs) yeah um so it was shoulder blade to shoulder blade and then it started to hit the shoulder and kind of traveled down my arm and i was like yeah so this this is a heart attack and then it started to go numb and i was like oh this is a heart attack Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of internal monologue in that moment i was like this probably isn't a heart attack right yeah yeah even though I know it is, there was still the part of me that was like, eh, it's, this can't be happening. You're a hypochondriac and you know it. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. some new weird thing that your stomach is doing. It wasn't. Fun yeah. fact. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, I called my mom because I'm a child eternally. Mm-hmm. Um, sobbing, vomiting, in extreme pain to the point where I was just pressed against the cold bathroom floor because it was the only thing that kind of felt okay mm-hmm. yes. um and my mom is a nurse she has been a nurse for many 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 moons nice see you said you you called your mom and i'm like i probably would have called my mom too my mom's a doctor yeah so th- having a medical family like mm-hmm. family in the professional yep. medicine field is a little rough <laughs> Uh, you develop a little bit of a hypochondriac complex, whether or not you want to. I opposite. Yeah. I am opposite. Like, I, like if something happens to me, I'm like, this is probably nothing. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And I'll I'll call my mom and be like, I think this is nothing. And she'll be like, yeah, probably nothing. Maybe go get an MRI. M- maybe, you know, whatever. <laughs> However you feel. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I called my mom. And I just told her, like, yeah, I hurt in a weird way and I can't stop puking. Should I go to the hospital for a Zofran shot? Um, And a Zofran shot is just an antiemetic. I wanted to stop throwing up. That was the whole reason I went to the hospital. Oh, interesting. Um, And my mom is always the first to say, you know, if you think you're nauseous enough and it's been a couple days that you haven't been able to stop vomiting, whatever, this goes on to my health history. Mm Mm-hmm. She's always the first to say, like, try to write it out. If you can't write it out, go ahead. But in this case, right off the bat, I just called her and I was like, I'm so sick. And she was like, go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, you sound really sick. Go to the hospital. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll think about it. Got off the phone with her. Um, finished retching. Went downstairs to my friends and the pain was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And actually, funny enough, um, one of my friends that was there, Taylor, she is now a nurse, an ER nurse. Mm -hmm. At the time, she was in nursing school. And the other girl that was there, Natalie, she was a receptionist at who turned out to be my cardiologist's office. Oh, interesting. Um, Interesting. Yes. A little little mind boggling there. Um, Taylor had to go to work 
And she wasn't really concerned. She was like, Ryan, you're throwing up. You do this all the time. Mm -hmm. And Natalie was a little bit concerned because I did mention like, I'm having some weird, like some weird pains. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay, Taylor, you go to work. We're just going to like, I'm going to run her there. If anything, she'll just get a Zofran shot and I'll bring her home. Cool. Um, on our way there, she called one of her nurse friends that works in the cardiologist's office mm -hmm. and her nurse friend was like, oh, definitely, definitely take her. I'm not saying anything more. Just take her. Continue mm -hmm. on your way to the hospital. I think it would be a good choice for you. I got into the waiting room, doubled over in pain. They mm -hmm. still made me fill out the intake yeah. sheet, sat in the waiting room for about 20 minutes, even though I told the triage nurse or whoever sits at the front desk, I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. And that's the, you know, I've definitely in my time, there's definitely been times where very young people that I know, maybe they're doing drugs or something. And they're like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And I'm like, you're, you're probably not. Yeah. You're uh, probably not. And, and, and so like I, while but uh, also, I was in a hospital. That's true. Doubled over in pain. That's true. Yeah, and, and I'm just saying that I, I could, I, I bet you're not the first person that's come in and been like, I'm having a heart attack, and then they find out that it's not that. But yeah, that's a, it's a tough line to walk. But uh, yeah, and you know, even then, if somebody comes in complaining of the problems I was complaining of, even if I hadn't mentioned the heart attack, the first thing you do is take them to the EKG room mm -hmm. um, immediately. I sat in the waiting room for a good 20, 30 minutes before they took me back to the EKG room. At that point, I was in full-on convulsions. I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. It had spread from, it was over my entire back, up into my jaw, um, shoulder, left arm, had transferred into my right arm even, um, was in so much pain, I was genuinely convulsing. Wow. Um, they took me back into the EKG room, and there was this 22-year-old asshole 22 tops running mm -hmm. the EKG room that night in the mm -hmm. ER. Is this a doctor or a, or it's a, just a, a nurse? EKG. I don't even think he's a nurse. Or like just a tech. A, like a tech. Okay. He's like an EKG tech. Got it. Um, he was mad at me the whole time. Mm -hmm. the, the first thing he said was, you're not having a heart attack. This is not like, I don't know why we're doing this. And I was like, okay, but can we please just do it? <laughs> and... I was shaking so hard that they couldn't get a that he couldn't get a good EKG read. And he was like, look, if you can't stop shaking, I'm just going to send you back into the ER, like into the waiting room. And I was like, dude, you've got 10 seconds. And then I like used every ounce I had in me of strength of everything mm -hmm. to just stay still for long enough for them to get a read on me. And he was like, yeah, see, look what I said. Perfect sinus rhythm. That means your heart is ticking normally. Mm -hmm. Headed back out into the ER, still walking at this point. Wow. Um, I told my friend Natalie, who had driven me, I was like, look, he said, it's not my heart. I'm just going to get some Zofran. I'll have my cousin or somebody come pick me up and take me home later. Um, I watched her walk out of the ER door, watched her walk outside of the hospital, turned my head back, and then immediately, immediately heard my name being screamed from within the ER, like back behind the doors. And then like five or six people come running out with a wheelchair. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm here. Stood up. And they were like, no, sit down. Guided me into the wheelchair. Full on sprint back into an ER room. 
um, they, a nurse frisbeed, full on frisbeed across, a across a hospital bedroom, whatever, a gown at me. And I was like, this feels excessive. Like, I'm just here for a Zofran shot. I don't uh-huh. understand what's going on. And, I, and, you know, in that moment, when you're used to hospitals, you kind of feel that you have the ability to ask the question, can I keep my bra on? Because usually it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, yeah, no. And then in my head, I was like, fuck something's going on and no one's telling me what it is so i like put the gown on and then i took my purse and i like hobbled over to the bed that was pushed into the corner of the room for whatever reason i curled up in a small fetal position with no one in the room and then i woke up (laughs) wow that's pretty uh I don't know if that's as much as you wanted, but that's how it went. Oh, that's that's I I that's that's the exact amount uh that I wanted. Um so that moment where they're yelling your name, did they did they like notice something that the guy didn't notice right away or like Definitely. What, what? He was a very crappy EKG tech um who ignored some very serious things that um, are were subtle on the EKG, mm-hmm. but my nurse, not my not my, not my nurse, my aunt and my mom and a bunch of other people in my family are medical professionals. Mm-hmm. They looked at my EKG after, like after everything was done, and they were like, "How the fuck did you not see this?" My sure. dainty little aunt, fuming. Uh-huh. Obviously, she's still in California over the phone. Yeah. Um, my mom was irate. She was like, I don't, I'm not even necessarily 100% EKG, 12 lead trained, and I see that something is wrong here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, apparently there was something wrong. Just reading very slightly different than sinus rhythm that he did not notice. Um, and then I guess a doctor or someone more trained than that guy and wasn't jaded by the situation of it being a 21 year old mm-hmm. looked at it and sent out on mass the medical staff um people that could actually do things for me and that's about how that went i i don't know too much of the background i fully regret not being more proactive immediately after not necessarily immediately after because that was a lot immediately after but i wish i had asked the er nurses what happened why wasn't there anyone in there when i died Mm -hmm. how did how did the person who came in and found me dead how how did they how did they know to come in like mm-hmm. what was the situation what were you guys expecting what was going on in your heads mm-hmm. and now you know it's been a little bit over a year no one remembers sure i can't go back there's two nurses in specific in the icu who i know would remember me mm-hmm. um the most excellent nurses my Absolutely. mom included mm-hmm. <laughs> just truly the only reason i'm i think made it out of the hospital mm-hmm. were those nurses um and just how kind they were and that was something that i wasn't getting from a lot of the higher medical staff for reasons um was just kindness like mm-hmm. everyone was writing it off as a 21 year old dumbass had a heart attack um it was a lot of fun 
Yeah. A psychiatrist screamed at me in the hospital that night, or maybe the night after the heart attack. Um, it was an interesting, interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you crawled into the fetal position Mm -hmm. and then you woke up. And then I woke up. So when I was talking to you before, I, uh, shared my like belief, which is based on nothing, but I shared my belief that I've always felt like not always, but like for the last several years, I've had this idea that dying is probably very similar to when you're watching TV on the couch and then all of a sudden you wake up not realizing that you went to sleep. Yeah, there's something different on the TV and you're like, wait, something changed, but I don't I don't know exactly what it was. Yeah. And yeah. for a split second, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And I, you, it blew my mind when you said that coming from someone who has never died and been resuscitated Mm -hmm. to put words on something that my brain is constantly trying to come up with words for things. Mm -hmm. And that was the best articulated I've ever heard it put because I don't remember dying. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily remember fading out. I do remember closing my eyes in the fetal position. And then I woke up Mm -hmm. without really realizing I had fallen asleep or, you know, in that case died. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it was surreal. I think I told you a little bit about like after I woke up when you, uh, it was an eternal darkness that I found myself in for a few moments there. But then when I was conscious again, uh, first thing was everything was bright and I was in searing pain. Mm-hmm. Um, more or only fine, less, less pain than before, less for sure. And that's when I was like, okay, that thing's over. But what is this pain? Mm. Um, turns out it hurts like a motherfucker when they do CVR on you. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, they're, they're chest compressions. Yeah. I, for many weeks, my sternum, my sternum is still bruised. Mm -hmm. Um, my sternum kept me from moving. Mm hmm. And for several days after, I could feel definite distress in my spinal region Mm -hmm. because that's where they compress it to. They compress your body to about a third of its width Mm -hmm. or diameter, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I just woke up in a different kind of pain. I think I I was aware that it was different from the first pain. Mm -hmm. But it definitely felt like a little bit of a relief just Mm -hmm. pain-wise. and then they gave me some more drugs. And then next thing I knew, I had a little catheter from my wrist to my heart. And there was a dude digging around in there. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. And they don't fully sedate you for cardio calves. Okay. Um, for obvious reasons, you usually are very close to death or have just died. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think full sedation would be a little bit dangerous. Sure. So obviously I didn't feel any pain, mm-hmm. but it I felt. I felt it. You felt the the thing going through your thing. veins. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting one. Like um my closest experience to that is um uh when I broke my ankle and they had to put a big like you know, three inch screw through the middle of my ankle to hold it together while it was healing. And, um, I had a, 
I had a a smart X-ray tech uh, when when I broke my ankle because um, I I broke it. I heard it. It was it was a real break, and I knew it was it. not a good one. Yeah, it was it was a it was a bummer, and um, I went into the X-ray tech room, and it, the guy the X-ray tech was like a real like jovial like way too nonchalant given like, the situation. Well, I mean like. He dev- he kind of made me feel better a little yeah. bit because he was like a very like a big friendly dude and was like, oh man, you know people come in here and uh, they think their ankle is broken. I get them on this X-ray machine and like you'd think Jesus had been through here. As soon as they know it's not broken, all of a sudden they can walk. And he's like positioning my he's positioning my foot to uh, he's positioned my foot under the X-ray machine and uh, in my ankle like a bone shifted. And it felt a lot better. Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> it felt a lot better. It was in a bad place and got to a good place. Yeah. And I was like, oh, something just shifted and it feels a lot better now. And he's like, uh, yeah, I, I saw that. Uh, oh, no. It, it's probably broken. <laughs> I, I know I talked big earlier, but yeah, I think we got a real break on our hands here, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to need to do something about this one. But when they, but when they, it's always fun. Those like little medical procedures uh, or big ones uh, that give you a, a a sensation that is indescribable. And um, when they went to take the screw out of the middle of my ankle, because the big one had to come out, um, they don't put you under like they did when they put the plate and all that in. Uh, They just give you a little local and Mm -hmm. then they pull it out Mm -hmm. and like having a screw unscrewed from your ankle feels like having a screw unscrewed from your ankle (laughs) who'd have thunk it (laughs) man there's no other way to describe it like imagine that your ankle like imagine that your leg bone is a board that you're taking a screw out of like there's no words that i can put to it it feels like, like exactly like you'd think it would yeah it's like it like that that like a little bit of squeakiness that comes like that sort of like shoots through your the acoustics of your body and thanks for that I'll have nightmares all night <laughs> it, it it didn't hurt it just was weird it was a weird sensation it's a weird it's thing. almost like the dentist when he numbs you and then mm-hmm. he pokes you and he's like can you feel that and it's like yeah but no no <laughs> also at the same time um but so, yeah no you blew my mind with the whole waking up I'm I'm glad I'm glad I I'm glad I was so uh um close to describing the experience somewhat so let's talk about the eternal blackness that you just sort of dropped and then moved on from Mm. yeah (laughs) so that was a thing uh so when did the eternal blackness occur like you you so there's and, and i know that it's probably not necessarily linear um in a moment like this but you crawl in the fetal position you close your eyes you wake up does the eternal blackness happen between those two things or? Definitely. Okay. Um, believe that was all on un- un- unconscious mind, lack of conscious mind. I don't know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it was, I do remember almost sequentially, it was darkness then lightness. Mm-hmm. It was the pitch black of wherever I was. And then I was in the super bright emergency room surrounded by like eight or more people Mm -hmm. just frantically. I remember 
the dude who did CPR on me, I couldn't stop asking him why he had hurt me so bad. <laughs> he was like, I had to do it. You were mm-hmm. dead. I had to do it. And I was like, <laughs> you are so strong. You are so strong. <laughs> wow. um, but yeah, so I definitely do remember the the dark before the waking up. So mm-hmm. I feel like it probably happened after I closed my eyes. Okay. Um, and I know you were kind of interested in it, so I'll just say it. Um, it was not a scary dark. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one of my biggest, I don't know, it freaks me out is when I'm in the auditorium mm-hmm. and it's pitch black. Mm-hmm. That's just eerie, right? Because like, mm-hmm. I can't tell what's next to me, can't tell what's this, on this side. That room is pitch black when it's black. Uh-huh. Um, and it was darker than that. But... I don't want to say it felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it felt. I do want to say it felt welcoming. Mm. Now that I'm thinking about it in that word, I never felt it didn't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. I wasn't scared. It didn't feel overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, when I I'm I can very easily put myself back into the mindset that I had in whatever you would call that situation, mm-hmm. the touch of the afterlife I got. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I can put myself back there. And, you know, your brain works in weird ways, so it rewires memories. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep it as what I actually felt without going back there, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Sure. Just to keep it as non-biased by my own brain as possible. Sure, sure. So I remember before I thought too much about it, obviously, after I was resuscitated, I remembered the darkness and it was just, I wasn't standing on anything, mm-hmm. but I wasn't exactly hovering. Mm-hmm. I was more hovering than floating, but I felt stable. Mm-hmm. There was like no give to it. Um, I believe, I believe my body was visible to me. Hmm. But okay. I, I couldn't verify that. We would have to go ask that dreamscape, Ryan. <laughs> uh, could you see yourself? Um, <laughs> yeah. Did the, did the, did the, so this is just a, um, a thought, but like, um, so you talk about the, the, the darkness of the auditorium. Did it feel like a, a big complete darkness or a little complete darkness? It felt like an endless complete darkness. Endless complete darkness. I can't describe it. And I obviously wasn't around long enough to explore the darkness, mm-hmm. but it felt like it could go on forever. Interesting. Just from the, com- just how dark it was. Mm-hmm. I mean... Maybe there was a wall just out of sight. I don't know. But sure. all I felt was all-encompassing. And that's... I have reached the state of darkness. That is what is here. Mm-hmm. Is almost weightless. Mm-hmm. And that's a freedom. that's sort of a um, doing the photography thing and having to load film often in the dark. There is a really interesting thing that happens when you are in total darkness and you have no point of reference and how the space will like shrink or yeah. or get bigger um i once at one point had to have an mri because i asked my mom about this headache and she was like maybe go get an mri so i went and i got an mri actually no i went to a doctor an actual doctor and he told me to get an mri yeah. so uh 
That's my not... mom has referred me here. <laughs> yeah, they don't take that. My mom said, "Come get an MRI." <laughs> um, <laughs> Who is your referring doctor? <laughs> my mom, <laughs> mommy. <laughs> um, but no, so I go to get the MRI, and they like you know strap your head down, they bolt your head down to the mm-hmm. table, and then stick you into this donut, and then they're like, "This is gonna be like forty-five minutes." And I was in there, and I had this moment where I was like. I couldn't get up if I wanted to right now. And I started to panic a little bit and was like, dude, you don't want to get up. So what's just it? Don't. What's it matter? Like, if you get up, you have to do it all over again mm-hmm. or you don't find out the thing that you needed to find out. Yeah, exactly. And there's a wall like eight inches from my face and that's my reality. And so I just closed my eyes and I was like, you're loading film. You're loading film and there's a whole room in front of you that is not eight inches from your face. Yeah. And that gave me a We're lot of comfort. In a dark room. Yeah. yeah. That gave me a lot of comfort. So um, having that experience of being in the dark and, and how you can you can expand a space and, and just, yeah, the fact that it was endless darkness is, is pretty cool. Yeah. And I don't think endless is even the right word to describe it because it felt so vast, even though I had no concept of space, time, anything in Mm -hmm. that moment. But it felt like I could run forever in one direction. If you, like, was there any... You said you didn't have time to explore. And I know that, like, you know, time doesn't mean anything probably in that situation. But if you had to put... If you had to guess at how long you were in the eternal darkness, how long it felt to be in the eternal darkness... Well, I know it was about four minutes, but if we're talking, I have such a terrible concept of time in my consciousness. Absolutely. Mind yep. That, yep. Yep. But I will say it felt like a lot longer than four minutes. It felt, yeah. If, yeah. It, it I, I totally felt like only, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that it kind of felt a little bit like an infinity. It felt like I lived a little lifetime in the darkness, mm. not necessarily a really long lifetime. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would I couldn't say any words that I learned in that, but it felt a little bit like an an eternity. That's the easiest way to say it. It was just a, eternal black for eternity, and apparently eternity, four minutes. <laughs> in case you were yeah. wondering, yeah. scientist broken all of your boundaries four yeah. minutes i mean like i'm familiar with an eternity lasting four minutes i have seen the episode of star trek the next generation the inner light wherein captain picard lives a whole lifetime yeah in a very short period of time i know nothing about that but i do appreciate oh, it if if this were if this were your podcast i would make you watch star trek the next generation episode the inner light wherein uh captain picard lives a whole lifetime in a very small amount of time Note to self, don't start a podcast and ask Jeff to be on it. <laughs> no, it's a great episode. It's really good. I, I can't get into any of that. I tr- I've tried. I've tried hard. I'm not, asking you, to, I'm not asking you to get into anything. I'm just, just asking you to episode. watch you. I'm just asking you to watch one. You're going to have to text one. me it because I've already forgotten the name of it. But it's I have The nothing. Inner Light. The Inner Light. Okay. Well, there's none of that. It's a nice that. little It's a nice little self-contained yeah? motherfucker. All right. Get it done. <laughs> All right. Uh... Well, so I can't recreate 
Yeah. I cannot Unfortunately. recreate. Unfortunately. <laughs> I cannot recreate. I mean, like, I could, but I don't want to. I don't know if you would be as as successful yeah. as I was, Yeah, some would say. Um, But I think that sometime in the next few weeks, um, just through collecting some of the words you've said about the experience um, and... Uh, I think that I could at least put on like a little, a little theater for myself, wherein I attempt to, um, where I attempt to bring that experience into the real world. And I'm going to, I'll, I'll try it out. I'm going to yeah, try it I out. I think it'll be difficult, but I also think you won't know when it's happened Yeah, because I didn't know when it, when it happened. Yeah. So I could give you advice on how to bring yourself to that place, but I don't know if it would work for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if. I'm wondering if trying to that might be an interesting thing is like what if I just decided to get myself in a lightless room and just in a comfortable chair and just like sit there till I fall asleep. Yeah, I mean meditate. That yeah. was almost what it was. I tried meditation for the first time this morning, genuinely. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just the, the 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 recency of it was really like no, you. No, I tried. Med- you're like I tried meditation for the first time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing was, I was panicking so hard about this. That oh, really? It was either like yeah, do, either do some drugs or let's try <laughs> meditation. Oh wow. Um, well, you, you, and I figured you would enjoy me more as a meditated guest than the, the medicated guest. <laughs> you have actually been an amazing guest. Okay. Like, and you were like, like everybody, listen to this. Uh, when uh, I asked Ryan to tell this story, she was like, "I'm not, I'm not a good storyteller, though." And like, why don't you? In the comments, I don't know if there's going to be comments. We haven't done anything yet, but like in the, <laughs> you tell you tell Ryan how uh, grade her storytelling and and tell me if you think it's pretty good because I think it's amazing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It I'm chock full of them. Mm-hmm. If I were to ever start a podcast, it would just be like, here's some wild shit I've done, mm-hmm. and here's a story. And, but my fault in storytelling is everything reminds me of something else. So mm-hmm. I get very like off on tangents. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you did a good job. Uh, that's of okay. No, yeah, that's great. And I like to get off on tangents too. You know, I talked about my ankle. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. Um, uh, how gross that was. <laughs> I'm really glad people 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 can't see the uh, faces I was making during that retelling. <laughs> I wish they could. I'm uh, glad they can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, agree to disagree. So. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming to Half My Childhood Bedroom today to talk about this stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me to Half of Your Childhood Bathroom. That is... Bedroom? (laughs) Bathroom. Whatever. Um, If you'd like to see my childhood bathroom, I can show that to you after this. I'm invested now. I have to. Uh, I'm going to read... Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Probably by the end of tonight. It's that easy of a read, dude. Well, I've got a lot of... A lot of other books, the the weird one. I've got a lot of gay erotica to read. Oh, I could have brought you some of that too, but I figured you'd be good on that. <laughs> I was like, I take from our encounters mm-hmm. as brief as they are, and I did Google you because mm-hmm. you have oh, to do that. Sure. Um, I it, I don't know. 
I, I feel like you've done some pretty weird shit in your day, and that's why I needed the list of things that you've done, because I've done some pretty <laughs> weird shit on my day, and I was like, I had to find where there was a lack of overlap. I haven't done that much weird shit. I definitely, like, if I do something that's kind of weird, I tell people about it in a way that makes it sound where I leave out details that make it sound a little more normal. A little, so the, yeah, a little bit more casual. You yeah. So, colloquial, yeah. colloquialify your experiences. <laughs> I do that real, yeah. real strong. Yeah. You, you leave out the like, yeah, that time that I went to Vegas and did mushrooms with the teenage girls. Like, yeah, that's, those are true facts. True facts. One but time like, I rode in the back of a semi truck, uh, the, the man I had never met before all the way from Virginia to Indiana. There you go. See, that's good. And like, there's probably some things that make that a lot less shady. Yeah, there are. But you don't say those things. You don't have to know them. Yeah, because whatever they come up with, whatever, however they got you in that truck is way better than how you actually got in that truck. Yeah, and however you listening, however the listeners choose to believe mm-hmm. that a girl who died when she was 21 got into a truck with a man she had never known, got the best sleep of her life. Which makes me wonder if I was drugged, but I don't think I was. Um, best sleep of her life in the bed in the back of a cab of a semi. Mm-hmm. I I like your story better than how it actually happened. So, yeah. you know, hit it in the comments that Jed doesn't know if they exist yet. How do you think <laughs> I ended up in the back of that semi? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. We'll make that a Twitter poll or something. Yeah. I don't even know if we have a Twitter yet. Um <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. I'm going to try to recreate your death experience somehow. Okay. Um, I'll be glad to help in any way. Yeah. And, uh, and we will. Parmesan feels important. I. I won't I'm, touch that shit to I, this day. Oh, bro. interesting. Well, no. See? No, yeah. And I'm going to. And that was actually when you said that. I was like, well, that's one thing that I'm definitely doing is eggplant parmesan. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so stupid? What? I had a heart attack while I was eating a healthy eggplant parmesan boat that was completely baked, beautiful, probably like no calories, the healthiest thing you could have eaten. And that could have been my last meal. Oh, my God. And when I think about that. That's the saddest part. I know, dude. That's the saddest. Wow. It gets worse the more you talk about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tell everybody that you love them and eat every meal like it's your last. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Because you never know when it is. But, yeah, thank you for having me. This was an experience. And I'm excited to see what you take from the book. I'm excited to do all of it. And we'll get back together uh, probably in two separate episodes. I got a lot, uh, dude. I'm sorry. We will get back together after the break and have a chat with Ryan about how all this went down. Ryan. Jed. Welcome back to Thank you very Neophile. Much. I've read your book and... Uh, I hear you have feelings. Oh, no, I do have feelings, but they're not like I've. Yeah, it's been a long journey. It's been a long journey with this book and I. So you had me read Jonathan Livingston Siegel, as the audience knows, because they just listened to that. And so my first my first thoughts on it were. uh, This is not for me and I'm not that into it. I need to find a way to get behind what's there and see what other people are into here. And uh, I had just met a guy whose wife, this is her favorite book. 
he told me. And so they came over and I was like, hey, what's uh, what's the deal with this book? And she's like, oh, I read it when I was like 15 and haven't read it since then. Uh, how is it? And I was like, well, it's kind of Jesus-y. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I will say it is a little bit Jesus-y if you want to read it that way. <laughs> um, it And she like read through it and she was like, oh, yeah, this is a little... Uh, um, she, spiritual. It's a little spirit heavy. Yeah, it's a little spirit heavy. It's also like, it's also kind of in places directly referential to that sort of messianic myth, but it also kind of sticks into, um, it like touches on Eastern philosophy in a way that a lot of American cu- culture liked to touch on Eastern philosophy. Um, uh, back in those times. Well, let's do this. Let's recap. Let's recap the book. Okay. A bird wants to learn how to fast fly. Okay. Yep. And he does that. Okay. So to the extreme part one, a bird, Jonathan Livingston Siegel wants to learn how to fly fast. Okay. That's cool. And I see what he's doing with like learning to fly that that's, is the point of the book. I mean, it's like what birds do. Yeah, but but also just like as a metaphor of yeah, breaking of, boundaries of uh, yeah, breaking boundaries. Like it's a very human. It's weird though because like they do fly. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to figure out a way to like make them fly better or more. And he does. He does. Yeah. He spends four parts flying better and more. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he wants to learn to fly better, but for some reason. All the rest of the seagulls hate that. I don't know why. That's re- yeah. That's one that's, of the that's one of the, the the connections that makes it hard for me to get into this. Yeah, is like why why would they be mad about that? But they are. Um, there's a lot of people that are mad about gays. Why would they be mad about that? Doesn't make sense. Um, so seagulls mad about it. Um, he figures out how to fly fast. Um, but before that happens, he actually has a moment where he's trying to fly fast and he fucks up and he crashes and he's like, maybe I should just sink to the bottom. So he has a low moment, but then he manages to get up. He's flying around and has an epiphany and figures out how to fly real fast and then gets kicked out of the flock because of it. And one of the like unrelatable plot points to me was that the next Thing that he's like, yep, got kicked out of the flock. I'm cool with that, though. I I like being by myself. Dude, Don't. if you can fly 200 miles per hour, you think you would not be okay with being like, fuck all you guys. I'm just going to do this I now. No, man. It's like, yeah, I feel like that's, it's not enough for me to be able to fly fast. That just sounds like. I feel like the human equivalent of fast flying it's fl- fast flying. It's not flying fast, by the way. <laughs> I think the human equivalent of that would be just completely excelling in whatever you decide to do. Whatever you feel like you're meant to do. He feels like he's meant to fast fly. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I get that. I also feel like, you know, even if I were the best photographer in the world, like, I'd want to have a friend. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> I wouldn't just be like, Fuck, it's true. This is so good. Just, it's just lonely at the top, man. Knocking out these pictures, not talking to anybody that I photograph. 
But the the thing is, he comes back to his friends. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we're we're behind. We're, yeah, but not, not really back to his friends. At no point does he like come back and like anyway. We're, we're yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Anyway, so he gets kicked out, and he's like, cool. And then it's a, there's a weird moment where the thing is like, and he lived a long life indeed. And you're like, oh, cool, the end of that story. And then it flips to the next page, and it's like, there's actually two more pages, and what happens are is some birds come from heaven and ascend him to heaven. Yeah. It, I'm, I told you in the first part of this that mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not very deep, even though it is. Mm-hmm. And it's not not religious. It's an interesting book. I, I, I think, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Um, no, no, no. You were, we were doing great. This is, those are great points. Um, that's the end of the first part. Ascends to, they don't, I don't think they call it heaven, but like. It's just a higher dimension. It seems to be, it seems to be heaven at first. And then part two starts and it's like, so this is heaven is the first thing. Um, but he's already doubting it immediately. He's like, oh, these, they can't fly as fast as they want. There shouldn't be any limits in heaven, which is like, wow, Jonathan. Like, You're right there, buddy. Wait, well, yeah. <laughs> You're right, but also, like, diva much? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he meets a seagull that, like, is kind of his teacher, but also kind of his friend. He's supposed to be friends with them, but, like, there's never any, like, warmth, warm scenes between them. It's And it's part of this is the fact that it's short. Don't have a lot of time for character development. I get that. Um, so he is hanging out, learning to fly faster, finds out that there's not a lot of gulls in this heaven. And the reason why is because so few gulls are rad like them. Yeah, willing to be the outcast. Yeah, willing to be the outcast, but also understand the the sort of the principles. Um, And at one point, one of them is like, yeah, most of us have to live a bunch of lifetimes. So there's your touch on the Eastern religion type thing. Um, And then he meets Chang, who is Chinese, a Chinese seagull, I guess. Apparently. Mm -hmm. And Chang uh, is like, he goes to Chang and, and is like, this isn't heaven, is it? And Chang's like, no, it's not heaven. Heaven is perfection, which is kind of a Buddhist thing. And um, and uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel says, what's, you know, perfect speed or whatever? And uh, Chang is like, check me out and I'll teleport. Like, okay. Very cool. Yeah, I Very mean, cool. I mean, it's pretty cool. But also, like, there's a point where, (laughs) there's a point where, like, okay, I'm a seagull, my body's made to fly this speed, I'm going to make my body fly faster because I can, like, make my wings smaller or whatever like that. And that's rad. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I, like, sort of changed my way of thinking, and I was able to, like... Fly a little faster than I could have. Uh, and then there's like, and then I changed it again and I can teleport now. <laughs> I can be anywhere in the universe all at once. I mean, yeah. And that's that's another, 
I assume, is another uh, sort of Eastern religion thing. But like when it becomes literal, it becomes a little unbelievable. Which yeah, I mean, dude, we're talking about seagulls here. We are talking about seagulls, <laughs> but if I'm if I am to if I am to apply this to uh, my own life, it makes it difficult for me. Um, but we're gonna get to me and this story soon. Okay, so uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull learns how to teleport, uh, and then Chang disappears, uh, Yoda style. And uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull is like, I'm going to go back to my flock and teach more people how to fast fly, fast fly. Um, and do they say fast fly in here? Because I'm almost 100 percent positive. They call it fast flying. OK, well, and they call it I think they have a couple or he uses a couple different terms for what he does, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure fast flying is the most commonly used. I it's in my head for a reason, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm not going to dig through it again. Yeah, no, we don't have to. But uh, listeners, if you if you have a copy of it in front you of you, if you want to fact check me, if you want to fact check the thing, just email us at neophilepodcast at gmail.com. Um, so he decides he's going to go back to his flock. He goes back to his flock and meets Fletcher, uh, Lynn Siegel, Siegel, FLS. And uh, Fletcher has just been outcast, same as Jonathan was. And he's like, fuck these fucking birds, man. I'm going to fucking get a rifle and I'm going to fucking go back and I'm going to fuck them up. And Jonathan Livingston Siegel shows up and, uh, and Jonathan Livingston Siegel shows up and says chill bro you know don't be so mad yeah lose the animosity it's yeah. just we're at a higher level than them which is mm-mm. i don't know that he he doesn't he's perfectly just... insinuate that but he almost does mm-hmm. uh he's like they're you know they've got their thing we've got our thing let's 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 fly better part two done uh so thus far I wrote down the overarching themes of each part. Uh, okay. Uh, to sum up, okay. So the first part, uh, the the thing, uh, the um, the theme of the first part is you do you. That's pretty much it. You do you. Um, there's a little bit of fuck everybody else. Um. Second part, uh, there's no such thing as limitations, I would say, is a theme of the second part, which for me, that's a hard one because like there are some. Unfortunately, yeah. (laughs) There's some limitations. Um, And then uh, be nice, uh, share knowledge, don't be so angry. Those I can really get behind. Yeah. Be nice, share share knowledge, don't be angry. All personal feelings of mine yeah um so then we go on to part three jls and fls are flying around fast fast flying (laughs) there but when you're fast flying you are flying around fast it's true it's true uh 
They've got, uh, there's uh, more students of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. There's seven total students, which is a very... It's a number. Important number. Yeah. To some people. Mm, yeah. Um, we get a bunch of scenes of them flying. Let me look at my notes. I like that I'm getting a refresher on the story because I forget things so quick. Mm-hmm. I just forget which falls into which part. Maybe. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. Oh, yeah. Okay. So JLS and FLS are training, but but FLS doesn't believe in himself. At one point, he's like, oh, I'm too stupid to, like, like fast fly like you can. And Jonathan Livingston Seagull, in part three, in the early parts of part three, for the first time ever in this series... We hear about the Great Gull. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's just a capital G, capital G, yeah. Great Gull. Um, but cool, you know, whatever. Um, uh, they go back to the flock. They're like, he's like, we should go back to the flock. And everybody's like, oh, but we're outcasts. And like, what if they what if they yell at us? I mean, it's a constant fear of mine. So oh, I sure. feel that one. Sure, no, 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 yeah. What if they yell at me? <laughs> yeah, what if they yell at us? But Jonathan Livingston Siegel's like, let's go back. And so they go back and they basically put on an air show. And some people are like, fuck them more. And some of the seagulls are like, I want to do that too. So they get some they get some more followers. Um, and then um, he... Uh, and then there's a, a bird named Maynard, maybe? Maynard the seagull, who has an injured wing and always has and has never flown. And he goes up to Jonathan Livingston Seagull and is like, I want to fly. And Jonathan Livingston Seagull is like, fly, motherfucker. And Maynard is like, I have this broken wing. And he's like, just fly, bro. And so then Maynard flies and it's like, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, you know. He's like, a healer. Heal the, heal the thing. Uh, and he's like, no, no, I just like told him that he could do it, you know. That kind of thing, which has its own. I, I buy it. I buy yeah. it. I buy it. I buy it. Kind of like not the broken wing thing, but as a metaphor, I buy it for reasons I'll get into soon. Alrighty. Um, and he's like, and, and you know, NBD, and then there's like rumors that he's the son of the Great Gull, which he's like, he's like, I am not the son of the Great Gull, but he also never. Uh, he never misses an opportunity to bring it up in this yeah. in this really weird, weird in this weird way where he's like, "Listen, I'm not the son of the great gull," and somebody's like, "Why did you say that? We weren't talking about that." <laughs> <laughs> You're incriminating yourself, you bud. <laughs> you are never talked to a cop before, have you? <laughs> yeah, you just. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, Jonathan Livingston, what do you, well, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, what do you want for breakfast?" It's like, "Well, um, whatever it is, I'm not the son of the great gull." <laughs> Just to let you know. Uh, toast, I guess. <laughs> Is that what somebody who wasn't the son of the great call would? Uh, <laughs> Just backpedaling. I am not, I'm not the son. I'm not the son. Um, and so uh, then there's an incident where Fletcher crashes into a wall. And we basically, I guess, his soul leaves his body for a second and has a conversation with Jonathan Livingston Siegel where he's like, just go back to your body if you want to. If you want to live. And so, yeah, then he comes back to life and everybody's like, oh, shit, he's fucking God or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but a bunch of people are like, yeah, he's the fucking devil. Let's kill him. They literally say he's the devil. Uh, and so they're in an angry mob. And then Jonathan Livingston Siegel and Fletcher 
Lynn Siegel teleport to get away. And Fletcher Lynn Siegel was like, that was sick. And Jonathan Livingston Siegel's like, I'm going to take off. You don't I gotta need, go, buddy. Yeah, you don't need me anymore. Uh, um, then and then he dips like a drama queen, is what I wrote. In here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would kill to see your notes on just like everyday life. Yeah, leaves like a drama queen. Um, and yeah, the end of part three is uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel being like, "Don't let him spread rumors about me." But like, why'd you like? You clearly want them to spread rumors about you, but whatever. You want your name in people's mouths. Yeah, you Beats, brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Fletcher Lynn, Lynn Siegel is like, oh, I'm going to go teach more seagulls how to fast fly. And that's the end of part three. And then part four is different. Yeah. Because par- part three is when the story first ended. Yeah. Part three is when the story first ended. Now, the overarching themes of part three, I wrote this down. You took a lot of notes on a very short book. <laughs> yeah. My my notes How many are pages of seagulls drawings <laughs> do you have in there? There's no pictures of seagulls in my notes. This book is mostly, this is a great time to mention this, this book is mostly pictures of seagulls, feels like. Uh, yeah. it's There's a lot of photographs of seagulls. They're all by the same guy, though. Russell Munson. Yeah. Russ Munns. Russ Munns. Yeah. I... I know that the pictures do make it read more as a picture book but i enjoy them i miss the beach i love seagulls um i i skip them yeah <laughs> you don't read those pages yeah i i don't i don't read those pages um so the overarching theme is the best that i can pull out of this because it's mostly like it's mostly like a bible style listen to the miracles that jonathan livingston seagull did um so there was You Do You as the first part. Now, one thing that was kind of cool is the let them see you doing you. That's a good thing because it's like it's a pride thing, like which I could definitely get behind that as a as a thing, because he is like, let's go back to the flock and let them see us doing this and we will persuade some of them and, you know, some of them will be OK. And then he like does a huge miracle and they and they get pissed off of, about yeah, it. Yeah. Um so uh, there's also a moment at the end, that's right, when the, when the mob attacks and Fletcher Lynn Siegel is like, man, fuck these guys. I'm going to go get that rifle that I... I'm going to go get my bird, AK. <laughs> and, uh, and Jonathan Livingston Siegel's like, like, don't, don't, uh, don't like their hate, but like they're still, you know, they're still people. You know, they're still seagulls. So don't be, don't be, don't be a problem. Uh, uh, also, I'm a god, but I'm uncomfortable with the term. <laughs> that is an overarching theme of the entire book. Yeah. Like, I'm god, but don't tell me that. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it, but <laughs> yeah. I am your leader. Yeah. God is really trying to bottom from the top here in this one. Yeah. Um. So, then we go into part four. Not part of the original thing. Maybe. Controversial to Controversial die heard. To- readers of the book especially to people who wouldn't when did the fourth part come out like 20 something like 2012 something 12, like that yeah. so you know people have been reading this book for almost 50 years yeah or this series of stories for almost 50 years by the time that part four came out mm-hmm. and i think i mentioned when we met first that 
it is a little bit more than a little bit controversial mm-hmm. because it does tie more traditional religion and you know what yeah. we view as the bible or whatever mm-hmm. into a story that i don't think it was necessary i would love to drop the god themes but we're people yeah we tend to personify god in any kind of way yeah so i'm also yeah and i'm going to talk about this too uh a bit but let's go through part four part four starts off golden age right after jonathan livingston seagull leaves it's a golden age Tons of people are flying fast. It's having, it's having, they're fast flying. Uh, they're having a fucking great time. Uh, but people are caught up in the details. They're like, did Jonathan Livingston say, and you will know the truth or, and you will know the fact of like things like that. And, and Fletcher Lynn Siegel is like, fuck off. It's not important. Just do the stuff. Yeah, it doesn't matter what color his eyes were. Just mm-hmm. and they're like, and they're like, yeah, were his eyes gray or gold? And he's like, fuck his fucking eyes. They were purple. Yeah. And they're like, fuck purple eyes. He's got he's purple no, eyes. No fucking shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and he's just like shaking his, you know, shaking his head. And um, then there's all these like rituals that form where it's like we're gonna put we're gonna put pebbles on a on the graves of the original students and uh, carrying a smooth pebble becomes a symbol for loving Jonathan Livingston Seagull. But then like, then rougher pebbles work and then any pebble works. And and so it becomes sort of cheap. Bastardized. They bastardized the Mm -hmm. philosophy. Um, The um, rituals and idols. Oh, and then there's a point at which they're like, oh, no one can fly fast no one can fast fly anymore because that's for jonathan livingston seagull and the original folks so now nobody can fly fly fast everybody's dead it's you know a generation or two later and we meet anthony seagull who doesn't have a middle name i know he really got the short end of this stick yeah um anthony seagull is like talking to the what do they call him (laughs) They, they're like clergy. They're called. I can't think of what they're called off the top of my head. I'm gonna find it because it's fact checking ourselves. Might um, as well look for fast flying while you're in there. I can't do it though. Official local student. They call them official local students. I thought it was more badass, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not more badass. So um, he's an official local student. Aren't we all? Um, who's basically like a priest. And uh, Anthony Siegel is like, man, fucking Jonathan Livingston Siegel's fake. That didn't happen. Ain't no gull can fly 200 miles per hour. And he's like, um, here's some Latin for you or whatever. And um, so Anthony Siegel's like, this, this is stupid. I'm just going to kill myself. <laughs> and as he's getting ready to kill himself, uh, Siegel shows up. And uh, he's like, hey, I'm John. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> I know, dude. I know that it's not amazing, <laughs> no. but I fucking love it. No, the, no, no, no. And like, I'm not trying to take that away from you. I'm just, You're not I'm gonna. Just, I'm just being, I, I could if I wanted to. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fight, Jed. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Overarching theme of part four. Organized religion is bullshit. (laughs) Felt. (laughs) That is, that is, that is what it is. Yeah. And it's, and like, what a, like, you know, 
that's balls, Richard Buck. You make this book uh, that like really appeals to Christians and then let them get real into it for 50 years and then <laughs> come back with a fourth part that's like, oh, yeah, by the way, organized religion is bullshit. Which I kind of love. Yeah. No, it's 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 a very punk rock move. <laughs> I'm Yeah, I'm deep into it. I'm deep punk into rock that. book about seagulls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those are sort of the, the overarching themes. So I read this and I was like, oh, man, I'm just I can't get into it. And I talked to Lee's wife and that didn't help because she was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of dumb. And then I was like, OK, maybe this isn't for me. You know, I'm like, obviously, this isn't for me. And I looked at Reader's Digest. I'm like, oh, OK, maybe I'll read up a little bit on Reader's Digest because these originally came out in Reader's Digest. I'm like, let's see, like. Who was reading Reader's Digest at the time that this came out? And I start reading an article on Reader's Digest. And I'm um, I'm reading about its history. And one of the things that I read is in the 50s, Reader's Digest was like the place to go if you wanted your pro-American, anti-communist uh <laughs> This is why I don't uh, read into things. <laughs> well, it's like the exact reason I don't know anything about the things I like. <laughs> All I know is I like them. And yeah, I immediately am just like, oh, it's worse now. I yep. thought it was good. Like, you just ruined it a little bit for me. Yeah, there you go. See, Asshole. I told you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the first flock are communists, uh, which is, you know, whatever. Um so that didn't work to try to get me to to understand this better. Uh, so I was like, okay, what else can I do? Like, what else can I do? And I saw that there is a movie of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. I thought, maybe if I watch this, I'll maybe, like, understand a little better or something like that. Um, that was my damn phone. I don't know. I found it. Good deal. I watched it and I thought, maybe I'll understand this a little better if I watch the movie. So I rented the movie on Amazon and I watched it. And the movie is also mostly pictures of seagulls. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> I've yet to watch the film. I I wish that it was, like, I, I rented it. Like, I mean, I could throw it on for you. You could watch it. I can Amazon it when I get home. Yeah. Um, it's like three bucks or whatever to yeah. rent it. Um. One thing that's awesome about it, and this is for dedicated neophile listeners only, is that in the the movie, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. There we go. Uh, one of the awesome things about it, about the movie, and this is for diehard listeners of Neophile only, is that in the movie of Jonathan Livingston Siegel, uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel is played by James Francisus, which he's a handsome man here. He's holding a pencil in his IMDb <laughs> I photo. See it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he's, got he's... A, he's got a pencil for some reason on a red background. That's an old picture. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and, but... They add a character named uh, Marina, which I think actually I feel like they got the name wrong. I feel like her name was something else in the movie. Uh, but 
basically for the time that Jonathan Livingston Siegel is in heaven in the second part, he has like a quasi love interest. They just give him a woman oh, to talk to. Oh, I don't to. like that. It's stupid. Yeah, I don't like but that. But it's not even a love interest. It's just like he had, like I think they basically kind of replace um, whoever it is, Sully. Sullivan, yeah. Sullivan Seagull, who trains him in the in the first. He, I think they might replace him with uh, with a woman instead. Um, but the That's woman cool. that is the voice of the Seagull, because this is all just nature. Like it's kind of a, a crazy feat of directing because yeah. it's just uh, footage of seagulls and nature that they put a voiceover over. And let me tell you something else. Every line that Jonathan Livingston Siegel says in this movie is said in a whisper. <laughs> and it's so weird. He's just like, I need to fly fast. That makes me really it's, uncomfortable. It's, it's just very this small <laughs> glimpse into it. I don't know if I can watch the movie. <laughs> I, yeah. If I were made to fly fast, I'd have charts for brains. <laughs> I'd have small wings like hawk. I'm like, pouting so hard right now. It's very I would weird. like this reenactment to end. But the woman that um, voices this lady seagull in part two is played by um, the actor is Juliet Mills, who is Tabitha Lennox in Passions, which is dope. So I've yet to finish listening to that episode, but I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not a diehard neophile that's, listener. That's okay. It's 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 still early. We'll get you yet. You sure will. I mean, we're no Jonathan Livingston Seagull. <laughs> no one is. Not even Fletcher. Um, here's another thing that's awesome about the movie is that Chang is played by Philip Ahn, who is a, I believe, um. I don't know. I don't know what what his uh, nationality was. Well, he he was born in Los Angeles, so he's American. But what his uh, ethnicity is, as far as where he his family came from, but he is an Asian American playing a weirdly Asian named bird, and he does it with no hint of accent. Like if if. I wouldn't have looked him up. I would have been like, they got a white guy to to do like they're it's it's a they very... whitewashed a seagull. <laughs> yeah, um, which they actually they actually totally do also because when Jonathan Livingston Seagull ascends to heaven or whatever, he goes from like being a little bit like having a little bit of gray to being all the way white, which is weird. Yeah, holy goes, colors, whatever. Well, it kind of goes against this whole, like, I'm just a regular gold that changed color spontaneously. Yeah, maybe they just couldn't find the same gold that they used in yeah. the first parts. <laughs> Possible, <laughs> They're seagulls, too. dude. They're hard to find sometimes. Um, yeah, there were a couple times where they feel like they put seagulls in the, in the, um, in the, uh, in, like, sound stages and film them <laughs> doing stuff. Like in a cave when they teleport or whatever. It's very strange. Um, also, soundtrack, Neil Diamond. There's oh, a long Neil Diamond, like, we're going to watch some seagulls fly over the mountains, through the desert. They, they had to take a seagull and put it in the desert. That poor seagull. <laughs> right? And <laughs> doesn't know what he's like, doing out there. Film it doing stuff. And um, while Neil Diamond is like, <laughs> I'm the fly. I don't know. I don't know any of the songs. Um 
I was wondering if they CGI'd this movie. Oh no! Or it's, what? It's, it's, it's literally just. I was gonna say how how much could they CGI a movie back then? <laughs> they could not. There's a couple of scenes where there's like some clear like animation or like matte um, matting like they used to do to like make stuff fly in Star Wars and stuff. Um, but really, mostly it's it's just straight up nature nature photography with voiceover, um, and it ends at part three. Oh, the movie ends at part three? Yeah, because the... Oh, yeah, because the yeah. fourth part hadn't come out yet. Yeah, the fourth part the hadn't come out The car accident yet. hadn't happened. Yeah. So, the movie gave me no more insights, but... <laughs> <laughs> made you laugh. <laughs> Didn't make you me laugh. You got to look at seagulls for a little bit. I got a little bit of a nap in the middle on, <laughs> on some of that. Neil like, Diamond, baby. He'll put you to sleep. Because, like, the, the, like the movie's, like, an hour and a half long. and like That's you, longer than it takes to read the book. Exactly. <laughs> um... And the like, the book is basically just a screenplay for the movie too. <laughs> like it's really straight up. Um, the so there's just like after he leaves the after he leaves the flock the first time, it's like I swear to God, it's ten minutes or fifteen minutes of just a seagull going up different ecosystems to to. It can't be 15 minutes, but it feels like 15 minutes. <laughs> it's so long. Anyway, so that happens. Um, and then I, uh, the best thing that I did, the thing that really made me understand this in a completely different way is I went to Goodreads. Okay. I went to Goodreads and started reading reviews for Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And I'm going to read you two. I have to rearrange my two long legs. I apologize. They're not too long. I think they're the perfect length. Well, I mean, yeah, they make me six feet tall. I can kick people from long distances. But Mm -hmm. when I'm sitting is when it becomes a pain. But yeah, no, Goodreads, reviews. Uh, I'm looking for the app. Search books, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. We're going to go to... Okay, so I'm going to read two. The first one's a little more aligned with what I'm... With what I was feeling. Yeah. Um, And this is a... So this is a book, by the way. Let's tell... Let me tell you what it has. So it has a 3.82 out of 5 stars. Which isn't that bad. That's a solid-ass rating. Yeah. Right? Um, 34% 5 star reviews. 30% four-star reviews, 22% three-star reviews, 8% two-star reviews, 3% one-star reviews. But that's out of 176,322 ratings. It's pretty good numbers, this baby. This shit is uh, popular. So what's so, so maybe, I want to see how many one-star reviews this is. Yeah, has. I'm interested in those. 176, 322, 176, 322, is that what I just said? Yes. 322 uh, times point, what is it, 3%? Times 0.03. It has uh, about 5,290 one-star reviews. That's a good chunk of the population, but in compared to compared 127,000, yeah. I'm telling you, it's a good book. 30, 34%. Um, 
I want to know what the one star review said because I feel like it's probably just how you feel about it or felt about it rather. Fifty nine thousand nine hundred and fifty five star reviews. Fifty nine. So basically sixty thousand five star reviews for this thing. So I'm going to read a two star review that I think is fun. Uh, Jonathan rated it two stars. Basically, you've got a seagull who just can't fit in with the other seagulls. This was written in the last decade. Uh, if this was written in the last decade, decade, Jonathan would be coping with his outcast status by wearing a black trench coat and rolling 20-sided dice for fun. He would also achieve a local following of other socially awkward birds by totally kicking ass in Guitar Hero. This is from 2008, by the way. This is a this is an 11-year-old review. Yeah. Um, sadly, this was written in the halcyon days of the 70s. So Jonathan goes on a soul-searching quest and learns how to fly better than the other, than any other seagull. Gradually, other seagulls join him and, and become awesome too. No, I'm not describing a children's picture book. I'm talking about a book that bookstores actually shelve in the literature section. I honestly think that there are more photographs of seagulls in this book than there are paragraphs. Anyway, some people call this book inspirational or motivating. I'm guessing that these are the same people who consider accidentally getting two extra cheese sticks for free in their Papa John's order a miraculous affirmation of a higher power. <laughs> I mean, okay, is now, it not, though? This is the best. Did God not put this, those extra cheese sticks there? <laughs> this is the best paragraph, though. The only reason I gave this book two stars instead of one is that I was named after it. <laughs> Honestly, who wants Poor to be kid. named after a shitty book? <laughs> Think of the entire pantheon of literature. I could have been named Atticus Finch or Heathcliff Earnshaw or Beowulf. Instead, <laughs> I get Jonathan Livingston. Thanks a lot, Mom and Dad. No, really. You guys just sit back and relax. I'll roll this next doobie for you. <laughs> I love this kid's parents. <laughs> but I might love him, but it's to be determined. Um, so, that's... A two-star review that should have been a one-star review from Jonathan Livingston himself. Himself. Uh, now, here is the other review that I read that I'm into here. Let me find it. Where are you? Also, so many of these reviews are in Arabic, it's not even funny. I don't know the reasoning for that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess... Uh, I guess... Uh, JLS is popular in Arabic. Um, I'm trying to find this other review, damn it. That's why I got to screenshot things, Chad. Fuck a screenshot. <laughs> you heard it Hot here take. first. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh, here we screenshot. go. Anne. Um, okay, I'm going to read more on Anne. So here's Anne's review. Um, and it begins with. This is probably one of those books that you have to read at a particular moment in your life. Boom. For me, I was 15. I had just run away from home and was in utter despair that the entire world was mean, strict, and narrow-minded as my peers seemed to be at the time. I longed for a friend. I longed for a sense of the world being more than what was drowning me. The friend who put this book in my hand also gave me Blind Melon's first album. <laughs> And together, these two things may have literally saved my life. Uh, box writing is simplistic, yes. It is almost childlike, yes. But there, for me, for, but, 
but there is, for me, an enduring wisdom to it. The seagull is obviously a very simplistic metaphor for a human, but in reality, particularly from where I was at the time, the idea of the flock just doing as it was told, spending all of its time eating, shitting, and talking about other gulls was not far off from my experience. As that 15-year-old Roma soul, I connected not the... Not, I connected not the gull, but the sense that there had to be more to life than that, that there had to be more to life and that the pursuit of perf perfection was not in vain. This book was like a child's story that assured me that my sense of things was not off base. And I'm not kidding when I say that I felt that Jonathan Livingston Siegel was my first friend. I love that. I love you, Anne. And I'm glad you read that. Yeah. I have minor uh, chills right now. Because right. that's exactly, I mean, I told you in the first part, I did read it at an interesting time in my life. Yeah, exactly. I was a little bit older than our little Roma babe, but mm -hmm. j just as fucked in mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, you know, I will say this. I think, I think if you don't like the story, if -hmm. you can't buy into it as much, it doesn't, I mean, it might speak poorly on the book, whatever. But I think you might have just already learned those lessons. And fucking exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. Is that like, to me, so, okay. Um, I, my metaphor that I came up with for it was this. If you're standing there and somebody just, like, you're on a bus stop, chilling, checking out your phone. And someone walks up to you and says, hey, stop, drop, and roll. You're going to be like, move your phone closer to your face and try not to make eye contact with them because you're like, this person's insane. Now, if you're standing there and you just caught on fire and your clothes are burning and somebody walks up and is like, hey, stop, drop and roll. And it reminds you to do that and you roll on the ground and it saves you. That person just saved your life. It's very dependent on your situation. Also... Um, when you're younger, uh, and this is, you know, obviously not true across the board, but certainly when you are younger, you, uh, are a little more open or maybe it's that you're just like not filled with a million other stories. You're more maybe. malleable. You're a little more, yeah, you're a little more like, and also you're just, your emotions run hotter and colder. Um, there's so much stuff that I used to get really upset about that like now I wouldn't even. It's a non-issue. It's absolutely nothing. Like somebody says something, like somebody told me that one of my friends thinks that I'm dirty all the time the other day. And I'm like, that's a, what if that's a hot take <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah, right. thanks for your opinion on shit but yeah. okay <laughs> um which yeah was hold on dial back that's a weird person that's a weird, weird person, person bad friend well iffy friend let's go with that no. just well that's what a, a hot take well, there's a whole other there's a yeah and it, it came have to get more later it came yeah, yeah it came at a weird time too <laughs> are you okay jed no 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 i'm perfectly fine which isn't the point i don't care um so uh yeah reading that and looking through all these other um things uh 
I think it just sort of hits this perfect resonation point to where if you if you need it, it's perfect. But if you don't need it, it's offensive because it's got all this kind of Jesus-y stuff that some of us don't like. Um, I should learn to read Arabic so we can read some of these Arabic ones. Because Gotta get on it. I mean, That's like, my next episode. The, we uh, learn how to read Arabic. <laughs> it's going to be a long time coming. Um, so, yeah. All in all, though I did not personally enjoy the book, I really enjoyed my journey with it. And sort of, because I do try my very best to have empathy for other people's stuff. Um, I don't want to be a member of the communist flock that's like, if you like a Jesus say book, you can go to hell. Uh, so, yeah, having that, having this experience was was really nice. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it to me. I, yeah. And I, I've personally read the book in times where I didn't need the reminders that the book offers or the mm-hmm. lessons that the book offers. And I'm like, yeah, this is silly. Why do I like this book so much? Mm-hmm. But there's definitely still times that I read it and I'm like, true, it's I like- need to listen to Jonathan. Mm-hmm. But I do agree. I, I wish it wasn't quite as Jesus-y. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of this world goes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In every aspect. Yeah. And I'm not, I should be clear, I don't have any problem with people that like Jesus. I'm just not super into him. And so messages that include him do not resonate with me as well. Um, But yeah, good. I had a good time. I had a a great time. And I'm I'm glad that you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Because I, once again, I think it just speaks to where you're at in your life. Maybe pick it up if you're ever feeling rough. Give it a read. Mm, I can't imagine that ever happening again. Well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it takes 45 minutes. That's true. That's true. I did just read it this morning. I was looking for it this morning to, like, refresh your course. I don't know why. And I realized that one of my copies is here and one of my copies is at work. And I was like, yeah, I fucked myself over, but okay. Um <laughs> No, I think it really does, like our lovely little Anne very eloquently put, it hits you different at different times in your life. Mm-hmm. I think it is something, if we could take a little bit of the Jesus out of it, I would, the Jesus themes rather, mm-hmm. I would recommend reading it to every child in your life, mm-hmm. letting them read it. But I don't know. I just thought you should read it. I like it a lot. I did, and I liked it. I liked my experience of it. So I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you. Thanks for being on Neophile. Yeah, thank you time. for having me. Uh, it was interesting. Mm, yeah, well, I'm glad that you liked it. All right, we're going to kick it back over to uh, Paul and I in the, in the studio. Hi, Paul. Yep. Bye, buddy. Hey, everybody. Jed and Paul. Uh Uh-huh. We're back to talk to you. Let's take a little break from Ryan. She needs a breather. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Just good book, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I I think my feelings on the book are known. Um, It's not for me. 
but luckily I'm not a person that thinks that everything has to be for me. Um, so speaking of things that aren't for you, uh, let's get to this home stretch. This is, this is the final coming into the home stretch. This is the final sprint here of neophile season one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And And, uh, yeah, I'm going to, you're about to hear what I did in order to try to reenact Ryan's death. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. I describe it as, um, the attempt to reenact her death on myself as, uh, feeble to the point of being an insult so uh (laughs) so uh yeah have have stay 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 buckled up (laughs) here it is ryan dies (laughs) ryan dies okay so ryan yes sir so here's how i tried to Recreate. So, okay. So I needed to quote, recreate, unquote, your experience of dying for myself, which, um, obviously I was going to fail. Hopefully. Very hopefully. Obviously I'm going to fail. Um, so the, uh, I just want to disclaimer before this that my attempt is so feeble to the point of i hope it's not too insulting (laughs) (laughs) we'll see was it that nap in jonathan livingston siegel's movie no that was not it that was not it did it feel like it though (laughs) (laughs) there was actually i think there might have been a moment where like because i mean like we did when we talked about it uh we we said that it was kind of like falling asleep on the couch while you're watching a movie. So like I actually in Jonathan Livingston Seagull did die a little. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> At least a part of your soul did. <laughs> um, so this is what I did. This was, this was my, I did it on, did this all on one day and here's what I did. And forgive me if this is too flip about your experience. So I woke up on this morning and I went to Whole Foods and I bought, the ingredients to make an L pill? No. I bought the ingredients to make vegan eggplant parmesan. Okay. Are you vegan? No. Oh. Wasn't it vegan? No. Did I make that up? You made that up. It was like healthy or something though. Yeah, right? I mean it was a healthy eggplant parmesan boat. And parmesan I think is vegan. Parmesan? Cheese? It's not no, parmesan is vegetarian. Yes. But some cheeses aren't vegetarian. That's a whole weird Mm -hmm. what is it i don't know anyway i don't know anything about cheese except for it tastes good go ahead (laughs) well vegan parmesan don't taste good it's true shit (laughs) um but no but actually honestly um i made that joke just now but the eggplant parmesan that i made i made it from totally legit recipe i got it off of minimalistbaker.com and i took a picture of it oh here i'll show you the picture I'll show you the picture, and then this will go on Instagram uh, for this little this little thing. I took a picture of the vegan eggplant parmesan that I made. It's beautiful. Yeah, I'm a good it, photographer. I I know it's almost like you should do it for a living or something. <laughs> you know, you you're making that joke, but I do not do it for a living. <laughs> well, you should do it for money at least. <laughs> I should try, but I really don't. Uh, yeah, I made a made a couple of ones. So um, got a recipe, and I made it. And I ate it for breakfast on this morning. Um, That's a choice. Yep. 
so I woke up, got the ingredients, made the vegan eggplant parmesan from minimalist baker, and then I put an artichoke in the oven. <laughs> you did. I'm I so did. happy. I bought an artichoke when I bought the the ingredients just to put one in the oven, and I had already I I had already turned off the oven because I wasn't gonna yeah. burn my house down. Yeah. For you. <laughs> Um, Which is kind of rude, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, So there we are. I've eaten the eggplant parmesan. And at that point, uh, I had invited a friend over. And she is, I mean, she could be described as a 22-year-old asshole. uh, Which is... (laughs) What you've got going on across the table, brother. <laughs> but also, that was how you described your EKG tech, right? Yes. So this is what I did. The day before, I I went to Lover's Lane and I bought a whip. Um, this is not similar to my experience. Well, because here's the thing is that I needed to. No, I'm loving it. I needed to experience a level of pain, right? Yes. So I bought a whip. And then I was like, and then in the parking lot, I tried it out on my arm and it didn't hurt that bad. So then I had to go to another Lover's Lane to try to find a, another whip and I found another whip um, and it was longer and leather, but it has these dumb rhinestones on it. I'll show it to you. It sucks. Okay. It's a stupid whip. Like yeah. I really wanted a whip that I could get behind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but they didn't have one that. at lover's lane and it was too last minute. But anyway, so I got a 22 year old asshole to come over and I laid on the floor in my living room and she whipped me. And told me I wasn't having a heart attack. So. (laughs) (laughs) My experience, exactly. (laughs) So. ERs are weird these days. (laughs) So I've got eggplant parmesan inside me. I've got a artichoke in the oven. And I'm experiencing pain. And a 22-year-old asshole is telling me that I'm not having a heart attack. And then I drove to uh, a place to float on South Street. Which is a. Sensory deprivation chamber place. So you did go fully. Yeah. I'm proud of you. And so I went there. I walked in the door. I made the appointment like a few days ahead of time. It was $45 for your first float with the promotion code first float. I walked in and I was shocked to find that Alexa Adamson, a woman that I know, works there and was like, I saw your name on the schedule. I I thought that was probably you. I didn't think there was another Jedediah Johnson. And... I told her what I was doing, and she was like, that's so cool. Actually, I told her, I was like, so, uh, they're like, they, they give you a little questionnaire to fill out. It's like, what's your stress level? What's your fatigue like? Like, what's your pain level? Um, what are you trying to accomplish with this? And there was a whole list of things that were like um, spiritual oneness or... Um, just relaxation or blah, blah, blah. And I circled goal visualization, I think. That was the closest There thing. wasn't a checkbox for like reenacting a death. No, there wasn't. Oh, damn. And so I filled it out and, and she was like, it's cool that you're doing this. And I'm like, well, here's what I'm doing. I have this podcast and I gave her the card for my podcast. And I have a friend who died for four minutes. And she was like, here? (laughs) 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 I am so sorry, Alex Adamson, for that fright. That's good. Yeah. 
I, yeah. So I was, I was like, no, not here. In a hospital. Like, in a normal place to die. Uh, and... Um, She's still around. She clearly did not die here. You guys don't know BLS. <laughs> um, so... Uh, that was a fun little thing. And I told them about the experience and they were like, that's really cool. It was her and another woman who, um, I didn't know. So yeah, I waited around for a minute and then they showed me my room. And so this is how it works at this place. You have, um, it's basically like a shallow hot tub. They have pods and then they have pools. Um, so, uh, they have a shallow hot tub. It's got a thousand pounds of Epsom salts in it. Uh, and you... Uh, you get, uh, naked or I guess you could dress to your comfort level, but you're going to walk out in wet underwear if you don't take them off. Um, they lock you in a room or they don't lock you in the room. You shut the door and you lock yourself in the room. Uh, they have a shower. You get in the shower, you, you wash off so that you don't put your funk in their, in their pool. They recommend that you take a lukewarm shower so that you don't like, if you take a hot shower, then the, the tub might be too cold for you if you take a cold shower it'd be the opposite yeah. yeah um so the tub is supposed to be at like 95 degrees which is like skin temperature and yeah there's a light inside of it there's like a bottle of fresh water next to it um they have a little head pillow that you could put in if you feel like you your head goes too deep but your head doesn't go too deep it's there's so much salt in this water. you're sitting in the dead sea yeah um so yeah i uh Took it all off. I took a little shower. I got into the um, into the tub and immediately became aware of the fact that all of these little dry places on my hands um, have like not the full thickness of skin, and uh, my hands stung like a motherfucker. Oh no! <laughs> because there was just like, lots of salt. The pain follows you into the afterlife. Yes, exactly. So. I've got stinging hands. I lay them on my body, and they don't sting as much. I try to put some of the fresh water on them. Um, the lights are off. I turn off the blue light that's in the tub, and then I'm, you know, laying there. So, you also, you're wearing earplugs, too. So, I've got earplugs in. All I can hear is me breathing. All I can see at first is nothing. Uh, and... When I see nothing, I get sort of these, like, shifting... Vague area, hallucinations. Area, areas of, of um, like, almost like a deep blue light that sort of cycles through the blackness and sort of waves and... It's your brain trying to find something. Yeah, something like that. It's just, like, real subtle stuff. And so I just sort of, like, key into that and sort of zoned out. I never at any point was like, oh, I'm going to try to turn my brain off or anything like that. Like, I didn't try to do any of that because, yeah, trying to do that stuff never works. So I just laid there and sort of watched that stuff happen and then sort of became aware of my brain doing the thing that happens when I'm phasing in and out of consciousness where I just start to have weird dreamlike thoughts. And all of a sudden I'll just be like, God, why was I thinking about that weird thing? Like, why was I thinking about, like, an opera singer um, what put that in fixing, my brain? A, fixing a How chair? How did I get yeah. there? Something like that. But they also, like, immediately disappear. That op- opera singer fixing a chair thing that I just said is just totally made up right now. Because um, I immediately forget them. So, like, I did sort of waver on the edge of consciousness for a while. 
um, in this sort of space. After a while, um, and I don't know how long it was because, you know, you turn off your phone, you're in total darkness. Um, I sort of woke up, became a little more conscious and just sort of laid there. I tried to do some more stuff with my hands to try to get them to stop stinging. Um, sort of laid there. And then I became aware of the fact that there was a little bit of light getting in through the door so I could kind of see a shadow of my hands on the ceiling. So I kind of waved around with that for a while and was like, this is kind of a, you know, rip off. <laughs> I see light. <laughs> I see light, motherfuckers. Um, it took you a while to see the light, though. So apparently it was well, almost I was, successful. I think I was asleep for a bit. Oh, yeah. I was like not quite awake, but not quite asleep. Like, yeah. For, so it took me a while. But yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was pretty cool. But it, then at that point, I was like, man, it's getting hot in here. So take off all your clothes. Too bad they're already off. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, and also every time I would move, the water would bob and I was starting to get like a little seasick. Oh no. Yeah. So my hands hurt. I'm feeling seasick. I'm, and like, I wasn't trying to do this and I just, this just thought just came to me just now. I mean, like, obviously I'm not in the kind of pain that you were when you woke up from your thing, but, um, I did sort of wake up into an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> yeah. So I'm counting it as part of the experience. Um, and I laid there for a while and was like, okay, I can get up anytime. I, I don't have to like, it's not going to be, I'm not going to be embarrassed if I leave here 30 minutes into this hour long thing. It's not a big deal. Um, but I, I want to try to like, I want to try to tough it out as much as I can. So I stayed like for a little long, like I don't, like time means nothing in there. All senses have been deprived. You're not yeah. sure what year it is anymore. You know, you, they say that, but like, you know, you feel the water on you. Then it wasn't a good sensory deprivation tank. Just saying. I don't think, but I don't think you can't, like you can't get to a place where you don't feel the water on you. You're just, next podcast is you trying out all of the sensory deprivation tanks in the world, seeing if any of them are actually sensory depriving. <laughs> um, I've never done it. I'm scared of it. I would not oh, do really? it. So I don't actually know anything about it. But I know you're not supposed to. Like, it's supposed to be skin temperature. You're supposed to be floating. You're not supposed to feel, well, no, there's gonna be anything. Yeah. I mean, like, there's going to be, like, little, like. Well, I mean, if your hands are stinging. Yeah. You're going to feel the water. And also, you can't get away from the sound of your own breath. That's why I, I mean, don't like... think I would like it. <laughs> I don't, like I said, the last time that I was here, I had just mm -hmm. meditated for the first time that morning. Mm-hmm. That shit's not for me because mm -hmm. focusing on my own self is not a good place for me to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I eventually was like, okay, I'm, I'm pulling the ripcord on this. I'm going to get up. And I got up and they don't want you to walk around the room when you're covered with salt water because you get salt everywhere. So I got up, I'm rinsing myself off. And as I'm rinsing myself off, the music starts playing that indicates that my time is up. So, so you had been in there for the full hour almost? I'd been in there probably about 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, which imp impressed me. Um, so I showered, got dressed, went back out into the lobby. Um, so, and there's a, so they have at a place to float. Once you're done with your float, you walk out into the chill out room where it's just like comfortable couches. They've got sliding doors. It's quiet in there. 
and you can just chill out as long as you want. They've got journals that you can write in. Um, I went there. The 22-year-old asshole came with me, so she was sitting in there. Um, and I went out and talked to her. I had a little cucumber water, talked to Alexa again. And she told me like, oh yeah, they'll, they'll give you a second free one if you want one. And I was like, okay, well maybe who knows? Um, and she was like, yeah, let me know when this is coming out. Maybe we can like, you know, collab on, we'll, we'll blast your episode where you talk about a place to float and you know, all that. Um, so yeah. And I, I left and I, Went home with the 22-year-old asshole, and uh, I think we watched Ant-Man. And the guy came to fix my air conditioning. Interesting death experience, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm glad you tried. Yeah, it was I fun. will say, if you wanted to make the situation a little bit more realistic, the 22-year-old asshole should have just been wiling on you, like pounding the fuck out of your chest the second you got out of that little tanky tank. Yeah, she tr- like, and like... You know, my 22-year-old asshole is nowhere near as ruthless as a heart attack. Uh, (laughs) I really was hoping she was going to give me some... She was going to really let go on me. Yeah, but like no. it's, it's It's hard to do. You, it's it's hard to it do. takes a strong dom to deal with it. But I will say, if you care to redo this, they have less, less wet, more paddle with the tax in it. That is a very similar feeling, except for mm. much lighter and more skin oriented rather than your muscles are decaying. With the tacks in it? Like the rounded tacks or pointy tacks? Like pointy tacks. Like one edge, they're like studs that are pushed through. And then on the other side, it has like the edge of the pointed prong poking through. Oh, so just it's, a little bit. So you're not getting punctured. Not as much fully, as like but scrapped. it'll leave. Scratched. It'll leave little. It depends on how hard you're getting hit. Okay. Well, I'm not going to do it, but <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, just, I like to know stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that was that experience. And then they called me a place to float. Okay. I was like, who? <laughs> uh, a place to float called me and was like, hey, do you want a free one? And I was like, sure. Because I hear the deal is with this, these sensory deprivation things is that nobody c- can relax the first time they do it. And so the second one, you get a, a shot. And um, so I went back and it was kind of cool because I went back, I walked in, the woman, Alexa wasn't there, but the other woman was there and she was like, oh, you know, you're doing the podcast, like, cool, cool. Um, and I like, and I was like, yeah, you know, all that. And she's like, yeah, so you're in room one. And, like, there was no, like, let me take you back. It's just, like, if you have an appointment to float at this place, you just, like, walk in. You don't even have to say anything. You just walk in, like, what pod? Go in there. And and, and went in. very futuristic. Yeah. And, th- and the second time I did the pod, where you actually, like, close yourself in a big yeah. peanut. And so I took my shower. I got in there. I got into the peanut. And I had been aquaphoring up my hands for the <laughs> preparing yourself for the week. journey and i also like kept them out of the and they're all they have ointment that they, you can put on cuts if you have cuts and so i put ointment all over my hands and these greasy hands um and uh, i got into the i got into the pod and i closed it and i laid and i was like all right cool i kind of did the same sort of like in and out of consciousness thing um it was very similar to the first experience and then i sort of like woke up and was like it is so fucking hot in this <laughs> peanut uh and so 
uh, I was like, I need to like, I'm going to open this. And I opened the peanut and like, let me just in the room outside of the tub, you walk in, in your clothes and it's fucking hot in there. It's hot in the room. They keep the air in there real hot so that, um, you know, it's as, as seamless as a transition as possible. So it's fucking, it's hot in this room. It's got to be like 80 degrees in this room if, if, if not more. And so I'm in the pod, I'm in this fucking hot ass peanut and I'm like, I need to open this up a little bit cause it's too hot. And I open it up and it's like fucking Arctic blast. Like I had a fucking York peppermint patty, just <laughs> the air outside, the 80 degree air outside the pod was so cool and refreshing on me inside that I like, it just came it, back to life. <laughs> it had to be. It had to be like a hundred degrees in the fucking pod. It was so hot. Um, so yeah, then I left it open and I could see again because like when you close it, you can't see at all. Um, so yeah, I think I like the pool better than the pod. Yeah, I would be freaked out by the pod. I'm not generally a claustrophobic person. It's a big peanut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but that keeps cracking me up. Because it's, peanut's a funny word. Big peanut. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I would like being hot and feeling like I'm unable to move. Because I think I would think myself into a little bit of a paralysis mm. and then just drowned. There is a thing where like, so you have like, it's really weird to just be like, I'm going to let my head go. Because um, you can't, I found myself realizing that I was trying to hold my head up because yeah. it's not, it's not resting on anything but the water. So it, like, and you get to a point where you're like, can I actually do this? Can I let my head go? And I finally got there, but, um, it was, uh, it was a tough, it was a tough journey. Um, but yeah, the second time I went and sat in the chill out room, I, I ended it definitely early that time. I was in there for like maybe 45 or 40 minutes, something like that. Um, took my shower, cleaned all off. I think I, yeah, that morning I purposefully like didn't shower because I'm like I'm gonna shower twice today. I'm like, I gonna guess conserve I'm, some water. Besides, I'm dirty all the time. Yeah, I know. I was just about to do a call back to that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went and I sat in the chill out room and I picked up one of the journals and saw the things that other people have written. And those journals have been in there for like two years now or something like that. So. I read a bunch of people that were like, first float, it's so good. And like, I really connected with mine. And like, this is I'm definitely coming back. And like, all like all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this floating is like Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Where <laughs> 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 like, there's it's, a lot of people that love this. And I just don't. There's a cult following. I don't quite. I, I feel like I already, um, I'm already happy. Like I, I meditate all the time when I'm driving and forget what I'm doing and take the wrong direction. Like that's my meditation. Uh, and I, I don't want to turn my brain off and I like my senses. Like I like when my brain's on and I love my senses. I love seeing, smelling, hearing, touching, and, but were you conscious of how much you liked doing those things before you were in the sensory deprivation tank? Absolutely, I yeah. was. <laughs> but were you verbatim? Were you like, I am so grateful to be able to see light and smell smells that aren't salt? Absolutely. You're very conscious of things, aren't you, Jen? Oh, I sure see, am. See, I should have hit you with a different book. 
No, I, no, shut up. That was this was the perfect thing because it's your favorite thing. I it's not. Yeah, sure. No, this is no. Don't you don't need to worry about hitting me with mm-hmm. the, like you hit me with the perfect book. It was great because I really got to a place. I really enjoyed not to talk about the last thing and the, this thing, but Sorry. Like, I really enjoyed really not liking it and getting to a journey where I understand it. That's like that's enlightenment, man. Yeah, you, Jonathan, Jonathan Livingston, seagulled yourself. <laughs> yeah, into a different plane of consciousness. Just, I think there's a lot of merit in not necessary. I I stand like this with a lot of things where I don't like them, but I can appreciate them. It's how I feel about like slow, soft music. I don't fucking like it, but I understand <laughs> what it does for other people, and therefore, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about Ariana Grande's voice, by the way. I don't like it, but I understand it's a good one. That's <laughs> sure, I get effect. it. I get it. Um, but yeah, no. Flotation Tank. Where were we? Just Flotation Tank and going back to it and the second time I went. and Yeah, it was – I mean, it's a – these people, you know, filled out this journal and, and they had a good time. And so I went out and I had a cucumber water. I talked to the – like, I don't – the woman that works there is very pretty. Yeah. But yeah, talked about the podcast. She's excited about it. Alexa's excited about it. Um, I'm excited that I attempted feebly to um, uh, live your your experience. And I hope it was fun for you to watch me flounder in trying to do so. It, it really was. Like the little tidbits... That mm-hmm. you would give me at work, sitting at my desk, just the, and then you'd be like, oh, no, I got to save it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really appreciated it. I think it was a cool experience for me to see what it's not like to die at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to demean your attempt, but Good. It, there's Do no it. way. I don't think there was, my, I, I don't think you could have done it any other way. Yeah, I think attempt. you did the best that you could do. Um. I think it's a interesting experience. I don't know if like you can get anything from pretending to die mm-hmm. other than meeting a pretty girl at a float station. Well, also I floated, which but was nice. And I, also like I got whipped too, which by the way, like getting whipped <laughs> <laughs> getting whipped, it was kind of interesting because I like, you know, I've like I'm not a pain guy, so that's never been like I don't wanna I don't wanna have whip sex, you know? Um Whip sex. Yeah. The want... new name for BDSM. Just whip sex. <laughs> yeah. It's the the it's the sexual the BDSM equivalent of fast flying. <laughs> uh so I getting whipped, I was I've always been like not a pain guy. So I've always been a little worried about what not worried like it's gonna accidentally happen to me or something, but like <laughs> I've never been like I'm like, oh I wouldn't like that or anything. Um, it probably would hurt too much, but when it happens, it makes more noise. It stings just enough to sort of make you feel it. And I was like, this is kind of good. And I kind of wanted her to keep going cause I wanted it to hurt more, um, for you, um, for the, for Thank my experience, you. <laughs> no problem. Um, and, she, uh, but she kind of stopped early and then she took a picture of my back and like a lot of marks. I was like, I can't believe that there's that many marks for how little it hurt, which, you know, uh, kind of 
yeah, brings a lot of insight into all those like bondage photos that I've seen before where it's like, man, that's real that's real marked that up. That person looks torn up. Yeah, but really it's probably okay. I will say maybe is she experienced with a whip? Did you ask? She kind of talks a big game, but I yeah. don't know how experienced she is. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, like, I'm not claiming to be the most experienced, but I know you can make it hurt real quick if, you, if mm-hmm. you'd if you like to. Yeah. yeah. Especially. I mean, I've st- I bought the whip if you want to try. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I really wanted, like, your, your, your two things took me on such a, uh, a lovely journey into myself, into. A peanut. Just, into a peanut. <laughs> I dipped my toe into BDSM. Uh, Dude. Yeah. I just gave you a lifetime of knowledge. Yeah. God, peanuts, sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Thanks. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I appreciate your attempts. It, I think it's as noble as can be. Yeah. You're just trying to experience something in the best of your ability. And even if it came nowhere close, even if you were just standing on a beach flapping your arms like Jonathan Livingston Stegall, I feel like that's the equivalent but, you know, you got to float. I did get that to float. That was cool. I had a great time. And you got whipped, dude. I'm glad that I gave this to you. Thank you for coming you... to Neophile. Hold on. Hold on. Have you had you never been whipped before? No, I hadn't been whipped before. You live a weird life, Jed. <laughs> Opposite. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on Neophile. I had a great time. We're going to kick it back over to Paul over in the studio. And, uh gonna get this episode wrapped up hell yeah thank you very much for having me pleasure i want you to come anytime will do i'll hang out in your childhood bedroom anytime baby (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to neophile and i'm paul hayes (laughs) thank you ryan thank you so much that was amazing wonderful you did a great job you sounded great everybody loved your voice you told a good story these are things that she was a little worried about not to put her on blast but uh everybody tell ryan how great she is uh you're great ryan (laughs) um so this is our last episode we don't have uh we don't have kicking and screening um right now what we're gonna do is i'm gonna ask paul how he enjoyed fort Benjamin Harrison State Park. So let me ask you this question, Paul. How did you enjoy Fort Benjamin Harrison State Park? Immensely. Great. Uh, So the zoo. (laughs) Go on, go on, go on. Um, Fort Ben is right here in Indianapolis, and Mm -hmm. I have never been there, and and that is... That is really stupid, and I should have been there before mm-hmm. this. But mm-hmm. I'm glad I went. Um, it's a nice open space. Yes. Um, I don't want to take too long on it, but yeah, it's nice open spaces, great fields and meadows and trees, even too, in places. If you just want a place for a picnic or a walk or a hike, go there. I guess you can ride horses too. I kind of want to. I kind of want to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. someone should come on the show and make me ride a horse. What did you do? I've got somebody. Okay. I got somebody that'll make you ride a horse. Perfect. They'll make you ride a horse so so hard. <laughs> um, what did you do? What did you do there? I had a pick, picnic. You had a picnic? Yep. What'd you have? Panera bread 
Frontega chicken. Okay. If you Sorry I asked. Yeah. But uh, uh, <laughs> tell me about the zoo. Um, well, before we get into the zoo, what's new, Paul? <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> um, so you had a you had a picnic. Like, mm-hmm. how long were you there? How much did you did you go on any trails or anything? Probably like, about two hours. Um, we just walked around. I don't think it was an official trail. We just kind of walked around the little picnic area traily thing that mm-hmm. skirts the woods and some wildflower. There's a there's a portion of trees yeah. trees there that are like real long and straight. Yeah, the walnut trees. Walnut trees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you walk through that? Did not walk through that, but I plan on it. Mm. I have a walnut tree in my yard, so good. I know what those look like. Well, <laughs> it's it's not about the individual. You're you're refusing to see the forest for the tree here. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a it's a cool space because these trees are like very like straight up and down and geometrical and. Okay, let uh, me try this. The fun. doctor said that I shouldn't have nuts. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about the zoo? <laughs> Uh, well, before we get into the zoo, um, <laughs> did you say there was, I really like the, I, I went there a few years ago when I had gotten a bike and I rode my bike around. It's oh, a cool yeah, place yeah. to kind of ride a bike around. Absolutely. There were a um, lot of bikes around. There's a big, uh, you saw the big hill, like that looks like it'd be good for sledding. Mm-hmm. I bet that, I bet that place is nuts. I bet that place is lit when there's snow on the ground. Yeah. That, that was a pretty cool big hill. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. There's like barracks and things as well. Some old war timey things, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feels kind of colonial. Because it is. It is an old. It's an old uh, military base. Yeah, yeah. Military base grounds. Hey, guess what? What? I don't want to hear about the zoo anymore. <laughs> okay, good. Because I, I didn't go. <laughs> I didn't go. <laughs> I just I ran out of time. Uh, <laughs> That's why you deflected my question the other day. I, I did not go at all. You asked me if I went to the zoo, and I straight up lied to you. I was like, "Yep, <laughs> I did not go to the zoo." Um, I was gonna go to Evansville, and like I meant to. I was like, "I've got two weeks to go to Evansville," and then with a week and a half behind me and half a week ahead of me, which turns out a half a week is only like three days. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that I didn't know, I no longer had time to go to Evansville. So I wasn't able to go. So this is the big cliffhanger of season one. I didn't go to the zoo in Evansville. So tune in next season to hear about that, to hear zoo. About that zoo, the Mesker Park Zoo. I bet it's going to be great. Um, but maybe it'll have some like good soft serve or something. That's about as good. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the season of Neophile. Uh, Paul edited the episodes, most of them. I talked to people. Um, thank you to all of our guests. Let me see if I can name all of them. Uh, Mia Tapella, uh, Aaron K. Drew, Chris Benedict, Brady Laughlin, Brian Burke. Uh, fourth episode was Katie, Katie, Katie Finley. Um, Ryan, right? What? Pettigene. Pettigene. Yeah, yeah, Pettigene. Uh, but that's our last one. We have others in between there. We also did. Uh, there was a uh, uh, Hannah Hollowell. That we're not in order. Um, I'm going to. You know what's funny is when I go to look up what our episodes, I go to Spotify to do it. Maria Berenger. Brady Laughlin again, Lee Chirolis, Mel Lutz, 
And that's it. That's all of them. Thank you to all of you. And thank you to all of the people who I recorded interviews with because I got a little overzealous and they're not making it in this first season. Mm-hmm. We're going to play some of those on our little off time. And we'll be back end of October unless something happens. And if something happens, you'll hear about it on Neophile. Or the news. The bonus episodes. Or the news. Uh, expect some changes, I think, for the for the new season. Nothing too drastic, but we're going to try and pump up the volume, volume quite a bit. Mm. Um, so please yeah. submit some and, ideas to oh, us. Oh, yeah. Come Email us, us, neophilepodcast at gmail.com, or message us on Twitter, neophilepodcast. Um, Even if you just want to... Sorry, not Twitter. <laughs> no, we don't look at Twitter. Uh, uh, Instagram. Oh, hey, and if you want to run our Twitter... Send us an email. Mm-hmm. If you hey, have you never run a Twitter? I've got something new for you to do. Yeah, exactly. If you want to run our social media, because we would we could really use that. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, everybody, and uh, you know, try to find something new today. Yeah, try to stay chill out there too. Mm-hmm. Cool down a little. Yeah. Bye. I miss them already. <laughs>